Section 20 of Captain Cook by Walter Besant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. Chapter 11 His Death, Part 2. Clearly, King understood nothing of the real meaning of these ceremonies, but there are preserved at Hawaii among the histories and traditions made in the early days when people were first encouraged to write down their recollections and legends certain documents which state positively and leave no doubt that the story told above is true that cook was taken for the god lono and that the priests paid him divine honours as lono and caused the people to bring him offerings the collection of which became very speedily a grievous tax of pigs fruit and cloth when the king came back from maui he paid a grand visit of ceremony to the ships bringing gifts he threw over lono's shoulders his own cloak adorned his head with his own helmet and placed in his hands a curious fan the insignia of royalty what did cook mean by accepting these honours the gifts of the king might have been accepted as a proof of friendship but the prostration the litany the sacrifice the kissing of the idol what could these things mean it seems as if he must have known that worship was intended adoration of something godlike even if the fable of the god lono was unknown to him indeed there is no indication of his knowing anything about lono who was called in king's journal orono and interpreted to mean a title of high honour we must conclude that cook's attitude showed a readiness to accept any honours provided only that they assisted in victualling his ships and promoting the success of the expedition if they chose to worship him they might the sequel proved that he would have done better to repudiate these honours two or three unfortunate incidents occurred one of the seamen died he was an old man named william watman who had served as a marine for twenty-one years after that he sailed with cook on his second voyage and though by the captain's interest he obtained admission into greenwich hospital he could not remain there but must needs follow his master on his third voyage he was buried on shore the captain reading the service perhaps it would have been better to have buried him in the sea and thus to have avoided connecting death in the minds of the natives with these strangers then there was the unfortunate business about the fence which surrounded the sanctuary this fence actually this sacred fence was demanded for fuel it was not refused nothing could be refused to lono and it was taken on board the ship with many idols attached to it or leaning against it one cannot understand the story except that cook in some blundering way conceived the idea of showing the people how powerless were their idols what should we think if some protestant using a power which had fallen to him should demand the stripping of the figures and pictures of a roman catholic cathedral then there was a quarrel about the carrying of a rudder which had been taken ashore for repairs stones were thrown about and sticks freely used perhaps in consequence of these things but probably because they were already tired of their enthusiasm and of the expense which it entailed the people had begun to show signs of impatience i could never learn 
king writes and this is very useful in showing how little they understood of the popular superstition anything further than that they imagined we came from some country where provisions had failed and that our visit to them was merely for the purpose of filling our bellies indeed the meagre appearance of some of our crew the hearty appetites with which we sat down to the fresh provisions and our great anxiety to purchase and carry off as much as we were able led them naturally to such a conclusion it was ridiculous enough to see them stroking the sides and patting the bellies of the sailors who were certainly much improved in the sleekness of their looks during our short stay in the island and telling them partly by signs and partly by words that it was time for them to go but if they would come again the next breadfruit season they should be better able to supply our wants we had now been sixteen days in the bay and if our enormous consumption of hogs and vegetables be considered it need not be wondered that they should wish to see us leave they sailed on february fourth seventeen seventy nine no doubt to the joy and relief of the people the great god lono gratifying as it always is to gaze upon a god had proved expensive it was hoped that a generation or two would pass before his return he took from them a great farewell present of food and cloth and in return gave them an exhibition of fireworks a week afterwards the ships came back the resolution had sprung her foremast in a gale there were no signs of welcome the king had gone away and left the island under taboo the priests however consented to receive the damaged spar and sails and to place them with a small guard of marines under special taboo but the old power was gone the people had either ceased to believe that cook was lono or which is more probable were so familiar with the appearance of the god and his companions as to revere them no longer then the marines and guard of the gear under repair did a very dreadful thing they persuaded some of the women to break the taboo and visit them in their wrath the islanders burned down their house after they had gone there was a quarrel again about getting water finally there was a more serious trouble about one of the discovery's cutters which was stolen no other than the chief palu himself who had been the first to welcome the return of the god stole that cutter can we imagine that he or the other chiefs and priests believed any longer in the divinity of cook and his companions such a thing as the loss of a boat was an occasion on which cook always showed great determination he went on shore himself resolved to make an example he would capture the king and take him on board his ship there to stay till the cutter was restored this was on the morning of sunday february fourteenth the native account of what followed is thus given by hopkins cook having come on shore and had an interview with kalianopu the two walked together toward the shore cook designing to take the king on board his ship and detain him there till the missing boat should be restored the people seeing this and having their suspicions already roused thronged round and objected to the king's going further his wife too entreated that he would not go on board the ships kalianopu hesitated while he was standing in doubt a man came running from the other side of the bay crying it is war the foreigners have fired at a canoe from one of their boats and killed a chief on hearing this the people became enraged 
and the chiefs were alarmed fearing that cook would put the king to death again his wife canona used her entreaties that he would not go on board and the chiefs joined with her the people in the meantime arming themselves with stones clubs and spears the king sat down and captain cook who seemed agitated began walking toward his boat whilst doing so a native attacked him with a spear cook turned and with his double-barrelled gun shot the man who struck him some of the people then threw stones at the englishman which being seen by his men in the boats they fired on the natives cook endeavoured to stop the fighting but on account of the noise he was unable to do so he then turned to speak to the people on shore when some one stabbed him in the back with a paloa or dagger and at the same time a spear was driven into his body he fell into the water and spoke no more samwell and king agree in the main with this account in the fight the englishmen appear to have behaved with great courage especially phillips and roberts there was one exception the lieutenant commanding the launch drew his boat off the shore had he joined roberts samwell thinks that the catastrophe might have been avoided he said himself in defence that he mistook his orders footnote this officer was afterwards tried for cowardice at the battle of camperdown and cashiered and footnote that he was not charged with cowardice is said to have been due to the weak health of clark who shrank from a measure so extreme and was physically unable to examine into the question let us now give gilbert's narrative if only to show how the tale was told by those of the expedition who knew nothing of the god lono or the adoration and were not eye-witnesses of the murder from hence we stood over to a large island called owai that lies in sight of it to the southwest which we made on the northeast side it is very mountainous inland and the shores in general steep but exceeding fertile the natives came off to us in great numbers and behaved in a very friendly manner we traded with them as usual till we had purchased provisions enough for five or six days which we did in three or four hours and might have got three times as much if we had chosen for the greatest part of their canoes were obliged to return to the shore with what they had brought off to us we then stood off about five or six leagues from the land and worked up along shore to the south-east keeping at that distance till our stock was expended and then went in and traded for more as we had done off the other island as we were not yet in want of water captain cook preferred this method of passing the time to going into a harbour as it was a great means of saving trade of which he was very apprehensive we should not have as much as we might have occasion for the discovery having broken an arm off one of her bower anchors at the island of desolation the armourers were employed while we lay in samgonota harbour in working it up for that purpose which was proportionably divided betwixt the two ships and with several spare iron stores principally belonging to the shallop served us for trade during our stay among the islands after standing off and on for upwards of a month and having coasted along near two-thirds of the island we began to be in want of water therefore the master with two boats well armed was sent inshore to look for a harbour and very luckily found a small bay opposite to us which was the first we had seen the least appearance of but however as this could not be perceived till we came within two miles of it we very probably might have passed others of the same kind the next morning being about the tenth of january seventeen seventy nine 
we stood in for it with a light breeze and as we approached near the shore we were surrounded with upwards of one thousand canoes at the mean rate of six people in each and so very anxious were they to see us that those who had none swam off in large numbers and remained alongside in the water both men women and children for four or five hours without seeming tired the decks both above and below were entirely covered with them so that when we wanted to work the ships we could not come at the ropes without first driving the greatest part of them overboard which they bore with the utmost cheerfulness and good nature jumping from every part of her into the water as fast as they could appearing to be much diverted at it and would come on board again when the business was over this bay is situated on the west side of the island in latitude nineteen and a half degrees north and longitude two hundred and four degrees east and is called by the natives carnacoa it is small and open to the sea which causes a great swell to set in and a great surf breaking on the shore renders the landing rather difficult the bottom of it is a high steep cliff but the sides are low and level with a town upon each at least eight times as big as any we had seen before in the south sea the country here is one entire plantation as far as we could see from the ship which is divided into squares by stones thrown together or hedges of sugar-cane we moored with the bowers in ten fathom of water gravel bottom about two-thirds of a mile from the town on the north side and one-third from a low sandy beach on the south side near the bottom of the bay which is the only one in it End of section twenty.